Welcome to Episode 6 of OA On Air's Federal Insight Podcast. Today, we're joined by Congressman Jim McGovern. Congressman McGovern was born and raised in Worcester, Massachusetts, and has been serving in the House of Representatives since first being elected in 1996. The elected representative for Massachusetts 2nd Congressional District, Congressman McGovern first took over leadership of the House Rules Committee in the 116th Congress and continues his service now as the panel's chair in the 117th. Rules is amongst the oldest and most powerful House Standing Committees, responsible for the rules and processes with which bills are presented, debated, and voted on in the House of Representatives. Unlike other committees, House Rules must deal with every area of policy. Allowing Chairman McGovern to exercise his knowledge, expertise, and passion for topics such as food security and hunger in America, the health and vitality of our democracy, helping to improve the quality of life for constituents in his district and for people all around the country. On Episode 6 of OA On Air's Federal Insight Podcast, Vice Chairman John Cahill sits down with the Congressman discussing a wide array of topics, including the upcoming fall White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health, which Congressman McGovern was instrumental in organizing. They also discuss international topics, such as a contemporary look at our relations with Cuba and the Congressman's recent trip with Speaker Pelosi and other colleagues to visit Ukraine. The two also swap stories and ideas on Massachusetts-based issues, specifically those that Congressman McGovern has helped push for in Congress, like East-West Rail. Chairman McGovern also shares with us his insights into the Select Committee on January 6th. He talks about their recent revelations and hearings, and also gives us his thoughts on the Supreme Court's recent majority decision to overturn decades of precedent with the Dobbs v. Jackson case. You're listening to a can't-miss episode of Federal Insight, recorded on Thursday, June 29th, 2022. Please enjoy Vice Chairman John Cahill's discussion with the Chairman of the House Rules Committee, the U.S. Representative from the Massachusetts 2nd Congressional District, Congressman Jim McGovern. Hey Jim, it's John Cahill here, and there you are. Nice to be with you. Great to be with you. Thanks for taking the time and a few minutes to talk about a few issues that are, some are current, some are maybe future, but uh, we could, uh, if we could, we could just jump to the, the proposed food conference at the White House. I don't think, uh, I think you can remind me how long it's been since the nutrition food related conference has been held at the White House, many years. Yeah, it was 1969. Uh, that was the year we landed a man on the moon. Uh, and there was a White House conference um, on this topic, it, and it actually produced some good things. Uh, the the WIC program, the Women's Infants and Children's program, Head Start came out of that. Uh, the modern day SNAP program uh, basically evolved out of that. Uh, you know, Tufts University. Then President Jean Mayer was very much in, involved in that, and it was you know, and it was a very good conference. Um, I mean, I think the one critique of that conference is that most of the people there tended to look like me um, and, you know, didn't necessarily reflect the diversity or the complexity of our country. 
And so I've been pushing for this uh, for a long time, in part because government is siloed. And when you talk about ending hunger or ending nutrition and security, it's not just one agency, or one department. You know, we need everybody involved. You know, there's a transportation component to it, right? There's a housing component. And so this is where you get an all of government approach together. I tried to get it done under the Obama administration. Uh, we weren't able to do it. Um, you know, we, Trump, forget about it. And then we, you know, and we, we pushed Biden on it. And I talked to the president about it. And, uh, and he said, yes. And we've, as we speak, the White House is conducting, um, you know, uh, listening sessions all across the country, virtually, virtually some in person. Um, Dr. Susan Rice has been very much involved in supporting this. I mean, but these listening sessions are <coughs> capacity. I mean, they're filled. Yes, uh, yes. There's such interest. And the date of the conference will be in um, September. We don't have an exact date. Uh, but the goal is to come up with a holistic plan with benchmarks to end hunger by 2030 in this country. Uh, and this is a solvable problem. And um, I'm really grateful to the president for doing it. Well, I, I can tell you that, um, and I, I know you've spoken to Kane Hayes, who's now the president of uh, Point 32 Health, the combined yeah. Tufts Harvard. And he's already sent off a missive to the White House, uh, which I guess is part of this whole process of the listening sessions, right. yeah. with some suggestions, things that based on their experience, based on their experience, he thinks should be broached, discussed on the agenda. So. Well, I'm, well, you know, we, we welcome all ideas. And, and by the way, there was lots of Massachusetts, uh, you know, ideas coming uh, forth because we, we're doing a lot of different things here. But I want to say that uh, Dari Musafarian, the dean of the uh, Tufts Friedman School, is, has been very much involved in this conference. People at Harvard, uh, people at UMass, I mean, have all been very much involved. Uh, but we have some models here. I mean, you know, in the health industry, I mean, Boston Medical Center um, yeah. is, a, is a good model for hospitals. But one of the things that we're talking about is food is medicine. Um, you know, my grandmother used to say to me, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Yeah. It would annoy me. I wish she was still alive so I could say she was right. But the deal is our health system, by and large, is detached from nutrition. Our education system is detached from nutrition, food, and agriculture. It makes no sense. Uh, so we, we can we we need to we need to think differently, and um, so we welcome all those ideas. And um, and again, I hope this is the this will be a substantive, hopefully transformational conference. This is a big deal, and the White House is taking it very seriously. Um, and we're involving again every department and every agency, even including the Department of Defense. You know, one of the things that uh, I've learned is that we have a, we have a hunger problem amongst um, a lot of our active duty service members, you just entered the military, you may be assigned to a base with your, you know, you may have a family, you may be assigned to a base somewhere in the, in the United States, you get, you don't get paid very much, you get a housing allowance, but that housing allowance counts towards your overall income. So you, you're ineligible to get benefits like SNAP. Uh, so near, near every military base in the United States is a food pantry, because the people who we are asking to defend our country don't have enough to be able to put food on the table for their families. So they go to these food pantries. So we got to fix that, but that's just what, so, so again, when I say everybody needs to be involved, you know, sure. I mean, we, we need to think big and out of the box and uh, you know, and uh, you know, and do something meaningful. And, and, and we we're working with the private sector. 
the nonprofit sector, our food banks, um, you know, our, um, uh, you know, our, our healthcare uh, leaders, our hospitals, our schools, um, you know, so this is, you know, everybody's involved and, um, you know, and we're going to, we're going to get, we're going to get something done. Yeah, now is the time. Uh, now, now is the time. And by the way, you know, I, um, I, I was at, a, I, I'm doing in-person town hall meetings again, uh, which uh-huh. is God interesting. Yeah, I know it's, I, it's like, I, you know, uh, but you know, somebody said to me, Oh, you know, this is another, you're just a big liberal that wants to do more liberal things. And I, I said, well, look, you know, I mean, I, I would like to think whether you're liberal or conservative, Democrat or Republican or independent, whatever, that we all think that having 38 million people in this country not know where the next meal is going to come from is unacceptable. And But if you're not moved by the moral argument that we should make sure everybody has access to good, nutritious food, and all you move by is the bottom line argument, understand this, hunger in this country is costly. You know, uh, the uh, the uh, the avoid, avoidable healthcare costs associated with hunger. Uh, people on bad diets, you know, with chronic diseases, senior citizens taking their medication on an empty stomach when it says take with food, but they can't afford their, their medication, food, heat, rent, whatever. I mean, there's a huge cost, lost productivity in the workplace. Kids who go to school hungry don't learn. Um, and one of the things we hope to do is strengthen, you know, our, our school meals program. I personally believe we got to move toward universal free school meals for everybody. Um, because for kids, rich and poor alike, the only, oftentimes the only good nutritious meal they get is in school. Is school yeah. 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 And there are districts that do that now. Well, that I'm aware it, of right. There, yeah. there are. And during the pandemic, we did it for everybody. Right. We had to keep it. We should have continue, continued yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, all right. So that's September. Um, and I know we had spoken a few weeks ago about your plans to revisit for, I don't know what time this is, uh, Cuba. Right. And, and I just, I wanted to get not only when that might occur, but just your observations on, have we made progress um, in the last well, we, year on, on the relations on what we should be doing? So we made progress during the Obama years. Um, yes. More political space opened up, uh, more interaction between the U.S. and Cubans occurred. Business uh, ties began to form. Research uh, exchanges. Um, you know, Cuba has a big biotech industry. We do too. Uh, there are lots and lots of, um, you know, uh, discussions going on about how we could work together. Um, and then Trump came in and reversed everything. Um, and um, and basically is instituted sanctions that are hurting the average Cuban, uh, which I think is cruel. Look, Cuba has a a very concerning human rights record and we need to call them out when they violate people's human rights but i think we have more influence if we're actually talking to them if we have our embassy fully staffed and up and running if we have a mature relationship between our two countries biden has made some movement in that direction um you know he's eased up on uh the ban on remittances so cubans can send their family members money he's he's restaffing the the embassy but there's more that we need to do look we have had a policy toward cuba since john f kennedy was president 
61. That, right. That, uh, that basically was about isolating the island, about sanctioning the island, about trying to prompt, you know, a counter-revolution. Well, you know what? All those, all these decades later, that turns out to be a really awful, bad approach, uh, because the, the life of the lives of the Cuban people never got better, um, and the government basically was able to point to all of our interventions and interferences as an excuse for some of their bad behavior and their bad economic policies. So let's let, 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 let's say let, let's let's build on what Obama tried to do. Biden should go back and embrace that. And let's begin the process of, of, of truly normalizing relations between our two countries, allowing for there to be economic trade between, between our two countries, you know, encouraging academic exchanges and, um, you know, uh, exchanges between medical researchers. Um, and uh, so I hope to go back in August uh, briefly to kind of get a sense for what's possible. Uh, I've talked to President Biden about it personally on a number of occasions. Uh, and... Uh, but I, I, you know, I, I wish he was moving faster, uh, but there's a little progress to report. That, that's good, because I know, as you know better than I, but, but there are uh, numerous, numerous U.S. private sector entities right. who are anxious to come to some, what I'd call negotiation, really, to work with uh, Cuban entities, whether they're government-owned or they're not. And... Right. You know, man, I, you know better anyway, but it, it's it's a heck of a thing to try to advance if, yeah. you, if you're not even speaking to people. Right. And look, here's my view. I think the best diplomats in the world are not in Washington, D.C. They're in Massachusetts. They're in Pennsylvania. They're in California. They're in Missouri. Yeah. I mean, there are people. And, you know, I mean, there are restrictions that Trump put into place that restrict you, a U.S. citizen, for being able to travel there. Yes. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, we're supposed to be the land of the free. I mean, our government saying that you can't travel there. Um, that's that seems to me uh, to be a little bit off message about who we are. And by the way, uh, the more that we go back and forth, I think, you know, the more we promote better relations and the more we open up political space, uh, we can we can they can gain a lot from a better relationship with us. And we can get a lot from a better relationship with them. And um, we ought to just do it. Yes, it's overdue. In other cases, overdue. Yes. So the um, so I, I'd like to jump to a domestic issue. Yep. Uh, the the East-West Rail project is on tap. Right. Uh, both you and Congressman Neal have said to me that the money's there. We should go after it. We should, you know, have a plan. Don't try to do everything in one day, though. Right. Just give me, just give me your thoughts on the status and then where to go. And and keeping in mind, as I, I did say to ne Mr. Neil the other day, that you know, uh, Governor Baker only has a few months in office here, right, yeah. and so 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 look to the future being January third. Uh, yeah. But but he, he said to me that he had he had had a conversation about that. So anyway, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you know, when I'm in Worcester or Boston, I call it East West Rail. When I'm in the Pioneer Valley, I call it West East Rail. Um, so, uh, look, uh, we've talked about this uh, for a long time. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of people have kind of put it on the back burner because 
They said, how are we going to pay for it? Right? Where's the money going to come from? We don't have the money. Well, you know, Congress passed the uh, historic infrastructure investment bill. Yeah. Massachusetts yeah. is in addition to its normal appropriation from the federal government for transportation and infrastructure needs is getting an additional like $12 billion. Yes. Um, and so, you know, uh, plus the ARPA money that's still unspent. I mean, so the issue no longer is we have no money. And by the way, in the, um, uh, in the infrastructure and transportation bill, Senator Markey and I added additional language that provides, you know, a pool of national money that we can apply for to help even add to what yep. we need to do, what we need to do this. So, uh, you know, this is the moment. Um, and Congressman Neal and I have met with Governor Baker and uh, the delegation out in the western part of the state. And a lot of discussion was over, you know, we need to create a new authority to run this. Well, whatever we need to do, we need to do. But that may take a little time. Yeah. That doesn't yeah. mean we should not put money aside for uh, East West or West East Rail. That doesn't mean the state shouldn't start applying for these other pots of money. I mean, this is a big deal. And, you know, and, and the reason why this is important, you know, as somebody from Worcester, I can tell you the difference that uh, uh, increased rail uh, has made here in the city of Worcester from Worcester to Boston, the commuter rail. I mean, it has helped transform the neighborhood where the, uh, where Union Station is in Worcester. It has allowed people to live here and points between here and Boston and be able to go to work in Boston or vice versa, quite frankly. Yes. It, it has been a, a huge economic uh, stimulus. And we need to understand that the same thing can happen if we, if we, if we further connect uh, the East to the West. And um, so, um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, we're on, we're on a, a path toward getting this done, but I'm always nervous uh, until it's done. Uh, and this is this is the moment. I mean, the money is there. Right. We, as you know, we will never get another infrastructure bill like this. You know, you know, anytime soon. Maybe so, ever. Maybe right. ever. So, yeah. so this is the moment, uh, and uh, and so we need the state leaders. I mean, the state has to take the the lead right now. Yes. Um, and, um, you know, we're we're hoping the Baker Polito administration will do that. Again, we've had some good conversations with the governor and the lieutenant governor. And, um, you know, when Congressman Neal is in a good position on ways and means, I'm in a good position on rules. We have good we have a good administration in, in Washington that, that we have good relationships with. So let's all let's all use our advantage now and get this done. 100 uh, percent agreement here. And I, I tell you, um, I think I had said this to you before, one concern at USDOT is that they can't spend the money fast enough. Right. That, you know, the, the, the 12 billion for us, yes, and then competitive grants, yes. Right. But they're concerned that uh, these things take time and you gotta move now. Right. You, you can't wait till 2020, late 2023. I mean, that's- No, yeah. it's, it's now, it's now, yeah. And so, so my hope is that, um, you know that we can get Governor Baker to to begin this process, and you know uh, I'm obviously hoping that Maura Healy will be our next governor, and um, and we need to make sure that you know this is a priority of hers, which I know it is, yep. and uh, and we will get this done. From your lips, yeah. <laughs> um, I 
We talked, we talked a couple of weeks ago and we were at a, an event together and you were describing your visit to the Ukraine and uh, with Speaker Pelosi at all. And, and in the course of that, there were a couple of really, not just interesting, but stimulating stories that you, you conveyed. And I said, I just wonder if you could take a minute or two to describe the visit. And yeah, no, it was it was a fascinating visit and uh, in an inspirational visit. Um, uh, and, um, you know, I mean, we, we flew to Poland and then we went from Poland to Kiev. And uh, and that in and of itself, that just from Poland to Kiev was it was a 12 hour excursion. Um, and I was with, with Speaker Pelosi, uh, Congressman Schiff. Uh, Jason Crow uh, and uh, the chair of the Foreign Relations Committee, um, uh, uh, Greg Meeks, and it was just us, um, you know, no staff, and, and we went and um, had a three and a half hour meeting with uh, President Zelensky, um, who, again, is an incredible, incredibly courageous leader of that country who has a mastery of every topic you can imagine. I mean, he... And uh, but he also told us of the horrors of this war, that Russia is launching a particularly vicious war uh, against Ukraine, targeting uh, maternity hospitals, civilian areas. They're uncovering war crimes where Russian troops basically have massacred, you know, uh, countless people. Um, and, you know, it's just vicious. And I think, you know, the, the issue is, what do you do? And uh, without getting involved in World War Three. And I think, you know, some people say we should not get involved. Well, if you don't get involved. You, you just basically say Putin go obliter obliterate Ukraine and and he will kill right. um, countless people. I mean, it's it just it's just a cruel, awful thing. And if he does that, then what's next? You know, what are the, you know we were in Poland and the Polish president was, was saying they're nervous about Russia trying to come back into Poland um, and they're a member of NATO. So there's a lot of concern. And, and you see other countries now wanting to be part of NATO because they're afraid that if they're not, then Russia will feel free to go in after them. So, you know, Putin is a live, you know, wants to, I don't know, recreate the old Russian Soviet empire. I, I, who knows what is in his brain. Yes, but the yes. deal is, is that uh, I think we're doing the right thing. But the meeting with Zelensky was, it was really quite incredible. Speaker Pelosi is amazing. I mean, um, sure. you know, um, and um, and you know, and and and, he, and I also I also raised to President Zelensky that Putin's war is not just against the people of Ukraine; it's a war against vulnerable people all over the world because Ukraine is one of the breadbaskets of the world. So yeah. a lot of you know grain, sunflower oil, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, maize. I mean, uh, a lot of stuff is is purchased uh, from Ukraine to feed people in Africa. And in the Middle East, the Ukrainians can't ship any of that out because Putin won't let them. And so, so people are going to be in really tough shape uh, because they're not going to have access to food. They're not going to be able to purchase food. Um, any relief organizations will not have enough to be able to distribute food. So uh, it's another added tragedy of uh, Putin's behavior. Yes. And uh, did President Zelensky comment on the future weeks, months, et cetera, on where he thought this might go 
because that of course now i mean it's been what four months i believe and so mm -hmm. well uh, he yeah and so we were there a while ago um and um you know he had already de defied conventional wisdom people thought that when putin launched this war putin would be in kiev you know in a matter of a, a day sure uh and um and here and here is ukraine you know taking on standing up to this you know massive power russia and they're still standing and and um, Zelensky believes that they will win um and um you know, he asked for more, he asked for more, he asked for more, which is understandable. Uh, and some of the things he asked for, I think are reasonable and we can help him. Some of the things are not. Again, you know, the, the delicate balance here is, is is how you not get sucked into World War III. Yes. You know, uh, Russia has nuclear weapons. We don't, obviously, we, we you know, want to make sure that those kinds of weapons are not used um, in, in this war. Um, and so, so that's the balance. The other thing, quite frankly, is, is, you know, we also need to be working with the Ukrainians to try to find, a, 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 you know, a way to end this war, right? How, I mean, there ha if there's going to be a negotiation, how, what does that negotiation look like? Obviously, it has to be what the Ukrainians want, but we need to continue to try to find whether there are any open avenues for negotiations to bring this to an end. And then the final thing, I want to say, and I worry about this as somebody who thinks our military budget is way too big, uh, you know, is we can't allow this to be used as an excuse to further explode the size of the military budget. Right. And we have more nuclear weapons than anybody else in the world. I mean, we don't need any more. We have more bombs and weapons. Some of them are obsolete. Some of them we don't even need anymore. We continue to build them. Uh, I would much rather invest those monies in our people or even putting it to a deficit reduction, if that's what people want to do, uh, then continuing to just expand our the military industrial complex. So we, we we need to make sure that this is not used as an excuse to just like balloon military spending uh, to an even more astronomical number. Do you think you're going to have to confront that uh... In the next, I don't know, seven weeks, in terms of the defense reauthorization bill, or yeah, well, the defense reauthorization bill is way too big, in my opinion. Um, and um, you know, and I've told the chairman, who I respect, and I've told the speaker. I mean, there's no way in hell I vote for a bill that big. Um, I mean, this is crazy. I mean, national security is about more than the number of bombs we have. It's about whether people have a job that pays a livable wage, whether people can put food on the table, whether they have housing, you know, whether they can, you know they have kids have access to good education where they have health care all those things are sources of our national strength and we need to keep that in mind mm -hmm. and um you know the people that i talk to you know as i'm doing my in-person town halls you know they lose sleep at night wondering whether they can fill up the gas tank you know, yep. whether or not they can afford groceries um i mean that's what keeps them up at night and so we we can't turn our backs on that and, um, you know, so I get it, you know, there are lobbyists all around Washington saying we need this system, this system, this system, this, you know, I, I get it, you know, uh, but, you know, we don't need all uh, the stuff that people are pushing out there. And, you know, we need a, we need a tough but lean military budget. And, um, and so, um, I mean, unfortunately, I'm in the minority when, I, when we're having this conversation right now, but, um, but I can't vote for an NDAA that is as big as the one that's being proposed. And it's a problem 
not just because of Republicans, it's a problem because of some Democrats too. And I respect everybody, but I'm just, I just respectfully disagree with this, you know, ballooning of our defense budget. Have you, have you heard the attempt at leveraging the Ukraine situation for increased, a much Yeah, oh yeah, no, yeah, we, we, we hear that all the time. Yeah. I've been hearing that all the time. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's what always happens. And every time you have, oh, we, there's, we gotta, there's a war where, you know, going on in the world, we got to do more. Well, no, you know what, how about get rid of the bloat? How about get rid of things we don't need? You know, um, how about, how about trying to get back to negotiating arms control agreements that will reduce and ultimately eliminate our, you know, nuclear weapons in this, uh, on this planet? I mean, Again, I mean, uh, we ought to be moving in a direction toward demilitarizing the world, not the, not further militarizing the world. Further, and I, yes. you know, this is a dangerous yeah. place. But let me just say, when we, you know, we talked about food before. I mean, I'll tell you something. I'm a believer that, you know, if we were more aggressive in leading the world toward eliminating hunger and extreme poverty, that will do more to enhance our national security mm-hmm. than, you know, sending more, building more military bases, you know, in every country we can think of. I mean, or sending more arms to oftentimes tin horn dictators who abuse the rights of their own people. So, you know, we, um, you know, we, we, you know, we have defense companies in Massachusetts. You know, I respect yep. the work that they do, but, you know, I mean, we're, we're, they're producing weapons for places like Saudi Arabia. You know where the crown prince, you know, has no respect for human rights, and and had a Washington Post jur- uh, journalist murdered and dismembered. And I mean, r- really? I mean, is that what we want to do? And I think we 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 need to rethink some of these things and have these discussions. Things won't change overnight, but we have to start steering the debate in a different direction. Absolutely. Um, talk about steering a debate. Um, the the revelations from the January 6th committee in the last, well, in the last couple of weeks, but certainly in the last few days are stunning and uh, stunning even for folks who thought they couldn't be stunned. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I saw I saw Mike Capuano last night and he said, you know, I listen to this stuff, I listen to this stuff, and finally I hear this woman, a former staffer, describe this. He said, I have to tell you, I'm not astounded by much, but I was astounded by that, you know? Yeah. I mean, just every time you think you can't be shocked anymore, you're shocked. Yeah. I mean, we we came so close to losing our democracy, to, to having a coup succeed in this country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and here's the deal. The coup's not over. Right. Um, and, um, you know, as you know, I, I was, I was in the, I took over for Speaker Pelosi. I was in the chair yes. that day. And uh, so I was one of the last people off the floor. I actually came face to face with these, uh, you know, rioters or whatever we want to call them. And, um, you know, that's right shortly they, after that, that they shot the, the woman who they tried to put through the, the, the window that they broke with their bare hands to get at us, I assume to kill us. Um, and now listening to the testimony, and listening to all the weapons that people had access to, I mean, um, you know, I, I, it's amazing that um, more people weren't hurt or, or died that day. Um, 
it, it just unbelievable. But look, um, you know, this was a violent insurrection. Yes. And, um, you know, and, uh, and, 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 and I, and I tell people that, you know, the, the, the debate leading up to the midterms is not the usual Republican democratic debate of size of government tax cuts, you know, environmental policy. I mean, those are all important stuff, right? But yeah. this is about whether we will have a democracy. And, uh, and I'm really worried about what's happening in certain states, not only making it more difficult for people to vote, but in some states, um, giving a panel the ability to nullify an election that they don't like. And add to that, this horrific rogue Supreme Court I mean, we're in we're in very dangerous te territory, and um, and I'm uh, I'm I'm very I'm very concerned about where we are right now. Well, I think I have to say to you that I, I I fear that some of these things that have just taken place, actions just conducted by the Supreme Court, and other things proposed, yeah. I'm not sure people quite get the idea that you can't reverse these things in a year. No, two years. We're, generations are much longer than they used to be. We used to right. count generations in ten-year frameworks. Not anymore. Yeah. And, and so these steps now to be undone, I, I can't even imagine how long it will take. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, and you know, and 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 one of the things that needs to happen is we either need to talk about expanding the court. Yes. Um, and if we're not going to do that, then we ought to talk about at least making exceptions within the filibuster to allow Congress to be able to codify some of these things. Um, and um, because um, women are going to die mm -hmm. because of their decision on uh, uh, overturning Roe. I mean, women will die, literally die yes. in this country. And um, and, you know, and I and I'm also particularly offended by the fact that these. Many of these judges lied. They just lied. They perjured in the hearing, themselves in the, hearings, yeah. in the hearings. And then even when they were meeting with individual senators, I mean, why do we even have hearings? I mean, if if what these people say doesn't matter, if it's just a game, you know, to cover up what they really want to do, and um, I mean, I mean, you, I mean, people like Clarence Thomas and their concurring opinion, as you mentioned, said. They want to go after other things, marriage yes, equality, yeah. you know, you know, who you can be with in your own, in the privacy of your bedroom, contraception. I mean, really? I mean, get out of here. These people, <laughs> these judges, you know, they are, they are rogue and they are not representing the will of the American people. And I can't recall a time where they, where we had a court that's actively taking away people's constitutional rights. Uh, and, um, and uh, and people are, are are upset and they're scared and they're nervous. I think that the the thing is what I want to make sure doesn't happen is that people say, "Oh, it doesn't matter. I can't do anything." You know, it does matter. You know, had yeah. had Hillary Clinton won in 2016, we would not be having this conversation now. Roe would be safe. Um, you know, a woman's right to an abortion would be protected. Um, you know, we wouldn't be talking about overturning. Uh, marriage equality. I mean, so yeah, elections matter. And, you know, maybe we all don't get everything we want 
when a candidate gets elected, but there's no such thing as a perfect candidate. Uh, no such thing as a perfect president. There's no such thing as a per perfect member of Congress, right? You know, you, you do the best you can and you, gotta, you can only get done what is possible within the reality that you are living. And, uh, you know, and uh, so, so this is, people really need to step up. Everybody does. And it's not just going out to vote anymore. We have yeah. to make sure that we are talking to friends and relatives and people we went to school with who live in other states and saying, you got to get out and vote. Yes. And you guys talk to your friends and relatives and we have to, we, you know, we have to, we, 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 we have to do, we, we have to do more right now than we have done in previous elections. And whether that means getting on a bus or driving your car to another state and working for a campaign that, you know, is, uh, you know, particularly close, um, you know, you got to do it. And we, you know, we're so, this is a, this is a, this is a consequential moment in our history. Totally. And um, I guess the striking thing for many of us is that we've not seen settled law reversed in our lifetimes. Right. I mean, you know, it's, it's exceptional, right. obviously. Right. Yeah. But, but, but the, the lack of, and again, I, I mean, I, I'm horrified by what the, uh, Supreme Court has decided here, and, and I'm even more horrified by the fact that we have governors and state legislatures in some states, you know, that are, you know, putting laws forward that would ban abortion, even in the case of rape or incest. Yes. I mean, really? I mean, it, again, most of the people that are doing this are white men. Um, you know, but, uh, but putting that aside, it's like, it goes back to what I said before, women will die. And, um, and I, and, you know, I, your life is great. Uh, it's complicated. And for legislatures and politicians and, you know, right-wing judges to make these, you know, these, these decisions that, um, you know, take away a woman's right to have control over her body, um, to, to take away her choices, I think is uh, is offensive and, and, and uh, unconscionable. My daughter, who's 20, said, you know, I, I will have less rights than mom. Yeah, uh, true. And it's like, is that, is that the legacy these people want to leave? Well, they've been at it for 50 years, Jim. So I guess it is, you know, I guess they... That, that was their goal from 50 years ago. Right. And, and now, as you say, you wonder, what are the other goals? Right. What else do they want to undo? And um, I mean, and it, it really, at City, it puts the states, in, in, in some states, <laughs> in a very, very difficult position. Because when you start stripping these down federally, the recourse has got to be, unless Congress is going to act, which appears to be doubtful, is that the states have to act and then they have to defend that action right. and that, that ain't easy as you know you know yeah. and, 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 and 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 then if you if the elections turn out not the way we want them to the way mm -hmm. i want them to 
and you know, uh, and Republicans were to get a, a bigger majority, it, they could also, by the way, uh, they could codify, um, you know, uh, language that would make abortion illegal in Massachusetts and every yes. state in the country. Yes. So, and you already see some members of Congress saying they want to do that. They want to introduce bills to say, you know, not just give it, leave it to the states, but we should have a federal ban. Um, and so, you know, for those who say, oh, in Massachusetts, well, you know, we have, you know, we have better laws and we could do this, we could do that. Yeah, for now. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we're totally out of the woods. It means they still can come back. Um, yeah. And God knows what other kind of uh, decisions these judges are, are, are going to make, uh, you know, not only on, 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 on this topic, but on, on other things that, uh, that we all regard as, you know, as, as, as settled law or, or, the, or, or now rights that we think are enshrined in the Constitution. Yes. So re reminding ourselves that they also undid a very specific gun law in the state of New York that was in place for 111 years. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, so. yeah. Yeah. So I, they, uh, right. They are, um, like I said, they're a road court and, um, and, and, and we have to figure out a way to fight back and we have to f uh, find a way to turn all this around because um, this country is worth fighting for. Um, and, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't want to leave my, uh, leave to my kids a, a, a country that is so right wing, so reactionary, uh, you know, so oppressive and repressive, you know, that, um, you know, it looks nothing like the country that I, you know, that, that I treasure and, and love. So, I mean, we, we, we have to fight back. Uh, and whatever it takes, we have to fight back. Yes. Well, we agree on that, like many other things. So um, it's been a terrific 45 minutes. Um, appreciate it so much. And um, let's see what the weeks uh, ahead bring on the January 6th uh, committee. I know they have some decisions to make after they finish whatever the hearings are, and, um, and that won't be easy. But uh, I, I did hear Adam Schiff yesterday say that they need consensus to make that decision and, and move forward when this is over. Right. Well, let, let me just end on a on on, on you know on this note. Um, you know, there's a lot going on that is overwhelming and it is disturbing. Having said all that, I am hopeful. I am hopeful. I mean, I, I you know, in the aftermath of the Supreme Court decision. I mean, I'm bumping into people at supermarkets, you know, on the street, you know, they're all ready to do what they got to do, you know, to take this country back from these people. And um, so that that is good news, um, you know, and, you know, people aren't giving up. And, um, and so we have a lot to do to protect our environment, we have a lot to do to promote economic justice and racial justice here in, in, our, in our own country. I mean, there's lots of stuff on our to-do list and, um, you know, and I think people now realize that you know, we have to be as intense in trying to get some of this stuff done and providing, you know, the elected officials to be able to actually vote for this stuff. I, I, I think there's gonna be a, a record turnout in the midterm elections. Really? Uh, and I think we're gonna defy history. I really do. I mean, I think the Republicans aren't going to win the House. I don't think they're going to win the Senate. 
Uh, and I think that's going to be a huge message. You know, you said before that a lot of these Republicans have been fighting for 50 years to yes. overturn Roe versus Wade. They've been fighting, but I think some of them secretly were hoping it would never happen because now that it's happened, it's real. Yeah. And people are going to see the consequences and they're going to have to answer uh, for those, uh, you know, for the consequences. So, so we got, we have to keep hope. My friend, John Lewis always used to say, don't give in, don't give up, you know, keep, keep hoping, keep fighting, make, right. keep up making good trouble. And that's what we're going to do. Uh, absolutely. Well, thanks. All, right. all the best. All the best. I'll see you soon. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. Bye. Thank you for listening to Episode 6 of OA on Air's Federal Insight Podcast. This has been a production by O'Neill & Associates. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Be the first to hear our new content and more conversations like this one. Thank you.